Hi, I'm Cindy Brannon, and in this episode of the Keeping Her Keys podcast, I am going to be exploring the goddess Hecate and the soul. I'll be diving into Hecate's historical connections with the soul, our experiential knowledge of Hecate and our soul, what a psychopomp is, how we are all our own psychopomps on our journey, and so much more. This discussion is rooted in lesson four of the Keeping Her Keys book, where I discuss Hecate as anima mundi and our soul journey. So I invite you to spend some time with me exploring that deep, rich inner world that we call the soul. Hecate is an ancient goddess associated with magic and mystery. She abides in the spaces between past and future, uh, here and then. She is known as a goddess of crossroads and thresholds. And over time, she became associated with magic and witchcraft and picked up some rather nefarious traits. However, before these these, uh, kind of ill-gotten deeds were associated with Hecate, and they're largely based in historical uh, records and works of art, such as Shakespeare's Macbeth, before all of this kind of nasty business became associated with Hecate, kind of leading to um, an image in popular culture of her as this frightening figure. Before all of that, way back dating in the earliest historical records, such as Hesiod's Theogony, Hecate was an all-mother goddess figure who held dominion over land, sea, and sky. She was a titan sometimes in these historical records, and she is much, much older than the Greek pantheon led by Zeus that she is commonly associated with. They adapted her from earlier cults, earlier locations where she was venerated as an all mother figure who was associated very strongly with the natural cycles of death, life, and birth. And that is the origins of her role as the soul guide. Now, the term that is often used to describe Hecate as soul guide is psychopomp. She wasn't the only goddess associated with the ancient Greeks that bore this title. Uh, Hermes was one of the deities, one of the that had this title as well. So psychopomp was a title that they used to label deities who had a capacity to guide the soul from embodiment to the afterlife and also the opposite. So the psychopomp is not solely associated with death being the one there at the time of death, such as, you know, the the angel of death, The psychopomp is also the one who midwives new life. Because they occupy that space in between, 
they serve as a guide of the soul to and from uh, embodiment and the other world, the spiritual world, if you like to say that. Sometimes in our society today, based upon this long history of Hecate being associated with what some would say are dark attributes, there is an idea that as the mistress of death, um, as a psychopomp, that she abides in a space that we might see as uh, really for, foreboding to us, outside of what we are comfortable with, and also as a goddess that is not a figure that we want to bring present into our lives because we've been exposed to these uh, cultural ideas about Hecate as, you know, this kind of scary queen of witches, the old hag, and so on. And many of us find beauty in reclaiming these visions of Hecate and other goddesses at, and, and the archetype of the witch as a way of empowering ourselves, of reclaiming the divine feminine, and um, explaining who we are in relation to the dominant culture that we are sometimes the women who occupy the fringes, who focus on healing ourselves and others and so on. And in that way, we can be a psychopomp. We are our own psychopomp, leading ourselves back to the soul, following Hecate's torches that illuminate the way to the soul. For myself, as a longtime student of comparative religion, um, as someone who has, uh, over the past three decades, uh, sought to understand the deeper world and the soul. This has been one of my greatest curiosities in life, is to understand the self and the soul. And as someone who enters into an understanding of Hecate as a goddess, as the seeker of the soul and the meaning of the soul, and as a psychopomp myself, as a teacher, um, and someone who supports others as they return to their own soul, that for me, Hecate has a certain thrum, a resonance within my own soul. That when I was studying Buddhism, uh, modern shamanism, different indigenous cultures, different systems of philosophy and what we could call theosophy. As I was studying all of these, I always felt like I was missing something. That although it was interesting and helpful in my quest to understand my own soul and my own healing journey towards wholeness, it never fit quite right. And there's so much beauty in some of these traditions. Uh, Buddhism, Taoism, Hinduism, all of them have so much beauty in them. But for me, it wasn't exactly what uh, home felt like. You know, my soul's home was not occupying any of these spaces. Yoga certainly is a practice I still do every day and I love it. But as I traveled across the years through these different paths, learning so much, I didn't really find a secure base from which to explore my soul, to use uh, attachment theory terminology, until I 
had a profound spiritual experience of Hecate. And this was a spontaneous experience when I was at a very low point in my life. I was going through divorce. And while I was uh, in that kind of trance-like state that we can get in late at night, I was doing chores. I was folding towels downstairs in the basement by myself. It was mostly dark. And if you've ever been in this state where, you know, you're like, I've got to get these things done, uh, but um, I'm very tired that it is, we get into that kind of trance state that we can get into, you know, whether we're doing uh, breathing exercises or using plant medicine, it's a similar kind of state. And if you've been there, you know what I mean? It's very much that flow state. It's very much the state where the soul can um, peek its head out into the chatter of our more rational mind and our busy lives and say, you know, here's something I'm inviting you to. And for me, it was a knowing a voice that I heard in my head, clear as day. I wasn't meditating or contemplating anything. I was just in that very quiet, still space of needing to get the laundry done and being exhausted. And it said, it's time. That's all. There was an image, a fleeting image of a female figure and also a knowing within me that this was called Hecate. Now, at the time, I certainly had been a student of the sacred feminine uh, for many years. I had always been very enchanted by the goddess Artemis, who is also called Diana by the Romans, because my name, uh, Cynthia, is an epithet of them and has come to be synonymous with them as a goddess of the moon. And when I discovered this as a teenager, it thrummed, there was that soul resonance, you know, that when I discovered Cynthia meant goddess of the moon as a teenager in my English and uh, my advanced English literature class, I felt that soul thing, you know, that thing that we don't know until we feel it. We can't really describe what it is when something uh, touches our soul. And then I had studied uh, many of the other goddesses I had only a scant understanding of the goddess Hecate at this point. I knew she was, you know, kind of what a lot of us will know based on pop culture and different writings about her, that she was associated with witchcraft, magic, the mysteries, uh, and so on, dreams, etc. But I certainly hadn't been seeking Hecate uh, in any kind of conscious way. And as a, you know, as a research psychologist, I was very much intrigued by my own experience. And as a scholar of the self and the soul, I wanted to understand what had happened to me in this very spontaneous way. I did feel a little crazy, to be honest. Um, and I was curious, what was this? Um, as someone who'd been a student of, you know, different theories of the self and the soul, particularly I've been very influenced by William James in my earlier days and also more postmodern uh, theories of self and soulness, such as Nietzsche and Foucault, I was very curious about this experience within me from a psychological perspective as well as what this meant in terms of the deeper world, the soul world, which I've come to see as Hecate's realm. 
This launched me on a quest of understanding myself and a quest of uh, exploring the historical literature, the artwork, uh, icons, and so on of this goddess over it's been over 12 years now that I've been on this quest. I didn't set out uh, to write this book, the Keeping Her Keys book. I set out to understand a phenomenon that I experienced from um, you know, what in a research perspective would be a grounded theory approach. So that's how I entered uh, into this world as a psychologist who had an experience and followed that experience. And since I followed that experience, I have been so privileged uh, to write a book that has touched thousands of lives and to build a school that merges um, psychological practices with deep soul work through opportunities for transcendent experiences by exploring the history of not only uh, Hecate, but also other archetypes and working with tools that are both psychological and soulful, such as astrology and tarot cards, uh, creating talismans and sigils and so on, uh, and all based on the Keeping Her Keys book, which has been such an enormous gift for me. That book really was my exploration of what would work and make sense for me based on my decades of study of other um, spiritual paths, and reading many authors who spoke to me, such as Marion Williamson and Suma Kidd, um, and certainly others such as Jean Shinoda Bolin and so on that really spoke to me, yet I felt there was something missing from a lot of the discussion for me, I'm not criticizing their work, I'm saying for me, and you, perhaps you've had this experience where you've read something, you're like, wow, that's really fantastic. I feel like that is indeed a key I want to keep. However, there is another key that I need to find. And for me, it was the merger of psychological practices that I knew were effective from my work, um, such as you know techniques from cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, mindfulness, motivational interviewing, um, and, and so on, and certainly really grounded in my doctorate in attachment theory, that all of that was very beneficial and it didn't go deep enough. It didn't get to the soul. It helped us understand ourselves. It helped us cope uh, with the demands of our modern lives. Yet the root of the problem for many of us is the lack of soul, the, the separation we have from our truth, from our authenticity, from the soul, which is, you know, unbound. We live inside the soul. The soul does not live inside of us. And it's numinous and difficult to describe. And yet, if you had an experience of deep flow, transcendence, of just doing something you absolutely love that sings a song for you that no one else may even understand. If you've had an experience of the soul, then you know the soul is real. Of course, as a research psychologist, I was well-trained in statistics um, and advanced methodology, such as structural equation modeling that allowed me to explain a lot of phenomenon, in particular, you know, where I was a 
focused on relationships, exploring the self in relation to others and how that impacted our well-being at the self level. There's no statistical technique that allows us to quantify the soul. The soul is something that is experiential, that it, it's qualitative. It's numinous, which means it is truly sacred. And so after I had that experience of Hecate, I chased my experience in a way that would help me understand myself and eventually led me to develop um, you know, a program that led to the Keeping Her Keys book that is both of the self to help us cope with everyday life and of the soul that includes rituals, magic, cardomancy, and other ways that really illuminate the soul within. And that these practices can be used in a way that lead us into the interior life, the soul. In my way of thinking, this is feminine because I'm largely influenced by the work of Carl Jung and in how he talks about the journey uh, to wholeness known as individuation that always leads to the soul, that the self, the ego, the personas we put on to, to be in the world are never enough for the experience of wholeness. And in my years of study, uh, you know, doing research, exploring attachment, loneliness, mental health, all of these things, there was always that missing factor in the professional sense too. And for me, it was a convergence between what I had been doing in my professional life and my personal pursuit of my own wholeness came together that night when I had that numinous experience of Hecate and the knowing that it was her speaking to me. And I was curious um, and it's led me to where I am today. Like I said in the intro, this podcast episode is an extension of lesson four in the Keeping Her Keys book. The Keeping Her Keys book is a course of 13 lessons that explore the archetype of the witch and the beautiful healing practices that we can borrow from the witch, not as the horrible hag, the evil sorceress, but as this font of healing um, and also exploring the history of the goddess Hecate in a way that is rooted in modern psychology and rooted in traditional wisdom of the soul. I want to just read a little passage from the book, uh, again from lesson four, where I talk about the Hecate within us. To explain how we make magic, we need to talk about how Hecate as the world soul is represented in each of us within our individual souls. In my thinking, each one of us has a soul that is a unique transcendent spirit. The soul is never born in human form, but is attached to each incarnation. The soul is connected to our current existence, but we can become disconnected from it for a variety of reasons such as trauma, our culture, all manner of things. I believe that our life's work is to become unified with our soul. By listening to the soul, we can achieve our true life's purpose. When we quiet ourselves through things like meditation, prayer, and ritual, we can become better attuned to the soul voice within. 
to make powerful magic, we need to tap into our soul fire. And through this, we connect to the natural energies that we can see as emanating from Hecate in all things. So that's a passage from the book where I talk about making magic. And in my definition, magic is both the intentional sacred creative acts, such as making talismans and so on, plant medicine, things we do with that. Uh, and also magic, which refers to being in the flow of living and manifesting our true life's purpose. In the Keeping Her Keys book, I discuss how I found um, an ancient collection of fragments written uh, about Hecate and the organization of the deeper world known as the Chaldean or the Chaldean Oracles. And that when I found this series of fragments, this translation from the ancient text, which is very challenging to read, I had previously kind of bumped into this when I had read a doctoral dissertation by uh, Dr. Sue Johnson that's known as Hecate Soterra. So she is a, a, class, a classicist who explored Hecate for her PhD dissertation and it was subsequently published as a book. It is a scholarly book. It, it's uh, not perhaps accessible to most of us. It, it, it's a heavy slog. However, when reading that book and then being inspired to follow the threads to the Chaldean oracles, what I discovered was a Hecate who was soul, that there was no differentiation between her um, and me as an individual who had a soul. And there was that thrum I mentioned earlier, how through Buddhism and Taoism and Hermeticism, uh, mystic, uh, you know, Christian mysticism and so on. I had found so much, but I hadn't reclaimed my soul. I hadn't reclaimed my goddess. And when I found the Chaldean oracles, I found my home base. That in their writing of Hecate as anima mundi, soul of the world, that that hit my soul. And I understood what I had been experiencing and, and perhaps why to me, the, the world soul, you know, the collective unconscious, the epicenter of the collective unconscious had come to me as Hecate. And I finally found that explanation that my research mind wanted to find, that I wasn't the only one, that 2000 years ago, a group of scribes, um, had set to paper, set to parchment, set to tablet, a vision of Hecate that was very similar to the one that I had been experiencing personally. And by this point, I had uh, been pursuing my, my research, you know, uh, looking for answers through different groups and different trainings and trying to find Hecate in the way that I had found her myself. So the Chaldean oracles were very much that place, but they were 2000 years old. And uh, although I admire the history of Hecate, I firmly believe that it is our grounded experiences in the here and now that 
point to how the collective is experiencing uh, any phenomena that is of the deeper world. So rooted in history, but let's look at the here and now. I started writing a blog um, on a platform that I no longer write for, I left last year. And that blog became very popular very quickly. And I hadn't thought that the blog, me writing about Hecate and her ancient epithets and her mythology um, and so on would become popular. I thought maybe a few people would be interested in my quest as a psychologist to understand the phenomena I had experienced personally and my quest through different practices, uh, you know, different practices within the archetype of a witch, crafting spells and so on, and, and finding that resonance within me that was really hitting that sweet spot of the soul. And observing so many others who were having a similar phenomenological experience, whether it was through crystals or identifying with the aesthetic of the witch, that there was something really going on. And I, you know, I shot that Artemis arrow right into this and I hit the heart of it. And the blog became very popular, which uh, led me to be able to write the, the Keeping Her Keys book, which explores, you know, the archetype of the witch and the goddess Hecate from this psycho soul uh, vantage point. And it is me teaching because that is primarily, you know, what I do in addition to research is that I've, I've always taught. I've taught the psychology of women and health psychology, social psychology, uh, psychological testing advanced courses to graduate students and so on. I am a teacher, researcher, experiencer. And that book is really the culmination of those hats that I wear that are so connected, my own three-formed self. If you're familiar with um, the imagery of Hecate, you're familiar with her as a triple goddess. And I do have another episode of the podcast up that explores Hecate as a triple goddess. I want to bring us now back to talking about Hecate's psychopomp. So psychopomp literally means soul guide. The Greek term for soul is psyche. Uh, anima is Latin. So they, at their foundations, have a very similar meaning. Although across the two set, 2000 years, they have been used in many different ways and applied by you know theorists, philosophers, and so on to mean many different things. But at the basis, psyche means soul. And to be the psychopomp is the soul guide. And Jung wrote quite extensively in the collective works on uh, the psychopomp and how we were our own psychopomps. That in his thinking, the role of the psychopomp was to lead the self back to the soul, was the merger of what was unconscious with consciousness and also anima and animus, which we can talk many ways about. There's lots of controversy with his gendered use of language and so on here in 2021. However, if we can appeal back the gendered uh, layers that he ascribed to this being a man who grew up during Victorian times. He has a certain perspective that is different from our 21st century lens. That if we peel this back, he was writing about the psychopomp as the one who unifies the outer rational self, the self that is helped by therapeutic techniques like cognitive behavioral therapy, that self who needs to cope 
and learn good coping strategies, be problem focused and so on. That self with the soul, which is largely unconscious and doesn't function according to rational uh, mores and so on, that the soul has its own code that is very different than what the self, the ego, we can sometimes call this the ego, the, the rules of the ego. And that the psychopomp leads the self back to soul. And certainly this meshes on with the experiential data that I've been able to bear witness to from my many students and readers over the years that Hecate ultimately her torch shines the way back to the key, which is the soul. And then that is where wholeness is found. So this does so much for explaining why therapies like CBT are helpful, but there's still that underlying root. There's still the soul that calls to us to be nourished. And it comes to us in our dreams. And this is where we have experiences of Hecate and you know, indeed, the dream world is really Hecate's realm because it's where that rational surface self, the consciousness, takes a break and we get into, um, you know, what is infinite, the unconscious and the world of symbolism and meaning as opposed to rational thought or logos. So Hecate is the one who lights the path. And again, torches are one of her most enduring symbols. She lights the path to the key and the key is the soul. So when I called the blog uh, and later the book, Keeping Her Keys, I was talking about the keys of the soul, the keys of the deeper world, of ritual, meditation, of personal empowerment, and the journey towards wholeness, the path of individuation, the heroine's or hero's journey to wholeness. And that's what it means to keep our keys. And as a keeper of our own keys, we are our own psychopomp. And we follow Hecate as soul back to our own soul. And this isn't to say that other paths are not legitimate. I'm speaking from my personal experience and the way I teach um, Hecate as anima mundi, as the soul itself, and so on. And my work has really been hugely influenced by the psychologist James Hillman, whose work, uh, like Dr. Johnson's, can be quite an academic uh, endeavor to suss out and to integrate into our personal experience. But I do want to read a quote uh, from his magnum opus, Revisioning Psychology, because uh, you know, decades ago, he realized that mainstream psychology was going in a direction that only focused on the surface self and helping us cope with outer life. And as, you know, someone who spent uh, my entire graduate training studying attachment, I know that the brokenness of the self can be helped by psychological methods. And it also requires something deeper that if we're only working on, you know, uh, recovery from those early attachment wounds, trauma, invalidation, neglect, so on, that the, what is underneath of that is not being tended. So Hillman's work really, really thrums with me. And I'm going to read 
uh, a little tiny bit about what he wrote about the soul. By soul, I mean, first of all, a perspective rather than a substance. Stay with me while we read this. It's a perspective rather than a substance. A viewpoint towards things rather than a thing itself. This perspective is reflective. It mediates events and makes differences between ourselves and everything that happens. Between us and events, between the doer and the deed, there is a reflective moment, and soul-making means differentiating this middle ground. There's so many important points made in this small paragraph. One is, of course, that the soul is a perspective, and different traditions see this perspective uh, different, with different names. For example, we can call it the higher self, the watcher self, the onborn self. It is the soul. And it is that perspective of being able to see the world differently, knowing that we are so much more than our thoughts and our experiencing, being aware of our body, being aware of our emotions. That is the perspective that is the soul perspective. And when we learn to live from that perspective, as opposed to the self, surface self perspective, that we become so much more than what happens to us, the person who cuts us off in traffic, having to wear these masks and all of the hassles of COVID, not the tragedies of COVID, but the daily hassles that we all have because of the pandemic, that we are so much more than the thing that someone said that hurt our feelings. We can, with curiosity, entertain why that hurt our feelings. It is the sole perspective. And as we shift to this perspective, we become our own psychopaths. We're guiding ourselves. And it's also the exploration of our dreams and the sacred creativity, whether it's making a talisman or painting, um, and also practices such as meditation and even working with the I Ching or the cards and so on. These are all where we make the soul. Thomas More's book, Dark Nights of the Soul, um, is such a fabulous resource that really explores Hecate as soul and how she is our psychopomp in a way that is so accessible. Um, I highly recommend that if you're interested in Hecate as soul, that you read this book. He's a phenomenal writer, a therapist, very well-trained. Uh, and I highly recommend that as a very quality resource. What often happens, of course, is that as we become aware of the soul and start to shift to the perspective of the soul, that we become all too keenly present with the soul loss that we've had due to trauma, invalidation, culture, and so on. And this can be a really challenging experience. And going at it with kind of this over-functioning energy where it's like, I've got to understand this. I've got to fix this. I've got to do this. That is the ego, right? That is, even we can dip into uh, shadow work there that, that, you know, having to fix this immediately in a hurry and do all the things that's over-functioning. The soul is about under-functioning. The soul is about having a dream, 
and asking yourself, well, what's the symbol in the dream? What's the emotion in the dream? How did the dream speak to me? It's not looking for the right answers because the soul works in intuition and in the deeper self and the soul knows what it needs to know. And it's our job to help bring it into consciousness. And although certainly my books and the courses I teach are guides to helping you uh, get to that place, ultimately soul making, singing the song of the soul is about under-functioning not about over-functioning because it requires us doing the things that sing to the soul as we call the missing pieces back to us, express our soul through creativity, um, even getting out for a walk in nature and just say, talking to the soul, saying, hey, soul, I've got 15 minutes for this walk. And instead of you know popping on the latest podcast, I'd really like to dialogue with you. What do you got to say to me? you know, having those dialogues with the soul and bringing the soul to light is such um, an excellent practice that we can all do. We can have discussions with the soul in the shower. We don't need, it doesn't need to be an elaborate ritual. Although of course, rituals help us to focus our attention and really our portals to the deeper world of the soul and Hecate that brings a lot of this to the consciousness in a way that uh, hastens and is truly transcendent. Although we can spontaneously have these experiences on our walks and so on. Meditation, of course, is deeply helpful for this. And in the Keeping Your Keys book and in the school, I teach a meditation known as Unifying the Three Cells, which is really a, a Kundalini-inspired practice of awakening the soul serpent within. If you are interested in pursuing deeper soul work and having me as your psychopomp along the path, I offer many free resources, including the Rituals of the Sacred Cave series, which are three uh, rituals, three meditative experiences of the transcendent that lead you back to the soul. They can be found on the Keeping Her Keys SoundCloud in the Animera folder. You can listen to the three audios to get an idea of what uh, they're all about. And then if they speak to you, you can plan to fully uh, participate in the meditations that I offer in those. So those are the free public versions of what are the three essential practices for healing the soul and being our own psychopomp, which is release of what blocks us, calling back missing pieces, and ultimately rebirth into wholeness. These are based on Jungian psychology, depth psychology, also more uh, mainstream psychological techniques, such as dialectical behavioral therapy. And also there is that numinous aspect of channeling uh, these meditations, that it's always that dance of me as psychopomp to connect to what is mysterious and undefinable and symbolic with uh, how I can teach these meditations in a way that is rational and coherent and uh, helps guide you back to the soul. So there is that. So those, like I said, you can find in the Keeping Your Keys SoundCloud in the Animera. Animera is, of course, soul. 
uh, and all of my meditations, journeys, and so on, are ultimately me being a psychopop guiding you back to your soul. If you are ready to go deeper uh, through formal, structured learning, I have uh, the, the Covina Institute. Covina, of course, is a word uh, rooted in the Latin basis for many, many words that we have, and it means to come together for a shared purpose. In that it used to be known as the Keeping Our Keys School. We've rebranded it to allow other instructors to come on board and share the work of being uh, the psychopomp, the one who guides us back to soul. In the school, I teach uh, these rituals as live experiences, and they are stretched out over the, the year. We call it the wheel of the year. And we allow about three to four months between each one because there is time. There's an integration process of the medicine that comes through in the rituals. So you can go deeper there to experience in them live and having a more uh, fleshed out experience where there are deeper lessons and so on on each of these three rituals. I also teach them as part of a master course on Hecate um, and soul known as the Mistai, which starts up again in September. You can join the Covina Institute. Uh, there's three different ways that you can uh, join. We have what's known as the Anodia plan or the Prima plan, which is for students who want to be part of the, the large community working through this book. There's tutorials and so on. And then there's also the Kleist plan. Key, Kleist means key in Greek that you can join um, and also experience the rituals live. In addition to the Sacred Cave series, we also have monthly moon lodges that feature meditations and medicine circles. And if you are ready to fully engage, we have the Ultima plan, which gives access to the full, the, the full kind of cadre of the teachings that flow from the book and the rituals of the sacred cave. So we have Psychologica, which is uh, full of lessons and articles on our psychology. And we have uh, Sibilica, which is about astrology and working with the archetypes of the tarot and so on. Spirita, which is about spirits of the deeper world, dreams, animal medicine. And we have uh, Pharmakeia, which is an exploration of plant medicine that you can also read about it uh, in my book, Entering Hecate's Garden. We do indeed have a course called Magikea, which is about our talismans and sigils and so on and other forms of sacred creativity. All of this is built around a hub known as Civitas, which is like the office of this school where uh, students do all those things that you normally do in an office. Uh, and then when all the paperwork is done, you continue on to the meditation room to begin with a daily practice of the unifying the three cells. And there are resources there, videos and so on to help you get into the training of that core practice of awakening the soul. And then we have Avatars, the Wheel of the Year course that has lessons for every month. We celebrate you know, the seasonal transitions and also you know, traditional days such as uh, in bulk or candle mass where there's articles and content there. So there's so much to explore in the school. 
on on offer anytime are these three levels of learning the uh, Prima plan, the Kleist plan, and the Ultima plan. And in September, you can um, apply to join the Mistai, which is the master course of really becoming our own high priestess of our own soul, becoming our own psychopop. Thank you so much for watching and listening to this video. You can always learn more about my work at keepingherkeys.com.